This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. In 2014, I was at this time sure that the topic of tile uh, will be probably one of the most exciting about aroma in brewing for the next 10 years. Brewers have a real opportunity to create many different new aroma profiles. The most important question today is how to release these precursors more efficiently during brewing process. This week on the show, a guy who's been studying thiols since before most of us understood why they matter. If you're chasing tropical flavors in beer, this episode is a must listen. So my name is Laurent Dagan. I'm uh, working for Nisios, uh, which is a laboratory. We are located in Montpellier, in south of France. And uh, most of our activity is about aroma compounds in wine and in beers. Your lab developed a method for determining thiol precursor levels in both hops and malt more than 10 years ago. Tell us about the method and how it came about. So I think uh, it's a very long story because I work on uh, wine aroma and um, wine aroma precursors uh, for a long time ago. But in 2014, uh, we started to homebrew uh, with a friend, my friend Clement which uh, was uh, working uh, in, at Nisios too. And we opened a bag of Cascade hops. And for us, it, met, it smelled like tiles. And it was the beginning. For us, we spent some night to read uh, the few documents published on this topic. And we started to adapt, adapt some of our method used for grapes, aroma precursors to start to work on hops. Uh, so 
After 10, 10 years, I think we use many different methods to analyze tire precursors. At the beginning, uh, during my PhD, I spent two weeks, a very long time ago, uh, in the laboratory of uh, Mr. Takatoshi Tominaga, who was the first one to develop an indirect method using enzyme to uh, analyze uh, tire precursors. So now we did a lot of change and we use LC-MSMS uh, to analyze different tire precursors. So is your lab the only group using this method or are there other groups doing this type of analysis as well? No, after uh, in the last five years, I think there is a lot uh, of methods uh, able to analyze uh, these precursors. Uh, but there is different strategy again, but most of strategy uh, use uh, LC-MSMS. Uh, I think that the main difference are probably more about the sample preparation and the use of uh, label internal standard, uh, which help us to improve the, the quality of the results. As we've mentioned on other episodes, thiols have been difficult to study and understand because while they can be very potent, they are typically present in beer in very small amounts. Talk about the challenge of developing a method to measure something that can have such a big influence on aroma at very low concentrations. Uh, I think that today the challenge is really different uh, compared to uh, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, in, in the past, when we wanted to analyze, uh, for example, 4 MMP in wine, uh, we used uh, 500 milliliters of wine to extract first, to purify secondly. Um, and it was a very long process. And the challenge was at this time to have the sensitivity uh, to see something. Uh, I think that the new instruments are more efficient and sensitivity is not the most important question today. The challenge is the same uh, for all very reactive aroma compounds. So it's true for all tiles, it's true for aldehyde and some um, carbonyl compounds. Uh, which are very reactive and when you want to extract the risk to lost a part of this aroma compound is very important and the loss is not stable. So every time you try to extract, the loss is not very the same. Um, so I think the, the big challenge today is again the sample preparation and how you can correct the, the lost along the analytical process for these very reactive uh, compounds. Are the precursors easier to measure? Or I, I assume they're probably uh, less reactive. Yeah, absolutely, because um, the tile function uh, of the free tiles is connected to uh, amino acids. Uh, so reactivity of tile precursors uh, is really not so important compared to the free form. 
you identified 41 thiols in just two hop varieties. However, we mostly only hear about 3MH, 3MHA, and 4MMP. Why is that? Yeah, uh, I think um, you talk about a publication uh, which corresponds to a work of the University of Leuven, and it's not our uh, contribution uh, to the knowledge. But in this document, uh, sure, they identified uh, a lot of varietal tiles, and it exists more other tiles identified in hops and in brewing. Uh, so tiles compounds are very, there is a lot of compounds, and even in hops, 41 clearly identified, it's uh, something amazing for me. And the reason uh, why everyone is focused mostly on 3MH, its acetate, and uh, on 4MMP is because the knowledge in winemaking about this compound is very huge. And so it's easy to understand this topic just with this compound. Uh, the second reason, I think, is the corresponding precursors have just been identified for this two tiles, so 3SH, 4MMP, uh, some other tiles, but not too many. And the topic about this tile is the idea that there is a potential and we can try to manage this potential from raw material until the beer. For many other tiles, uh, the pathway uh, can be very different. Thiols are responsible for the terrible smell that skunks make. How can we target pleasant thiols and avoid undesirable thiols? So I think you talk about probably the MBT, which is one of the thiols identified responsible of skunky flavors or something like that. I think if, if you come back on the um, paper of University of Leuven, you can see that the flavor uh, of all these different tiles are really different. And you can have uh, some very nice flavor and sure, some very uh, bad, uh, wrong flavor. I think you can select the strategy to optimize some tiles and to limit some other tiles if you understand very well uh, how the pathways are really different. And for the 2MBT, the pathway is really different compared to 3SH uh, or 3MH, for example. A lot of what we brewers know about thiols is a result of research that you and others have done for the wine industry. What are the similarities and differences between thiols and wine versus beer? It's a good question, and it's very strange because there is a lot of common point and uh, a lot of very important uh, difference. So I think that first, the common point is that uh, raw material uh, comes from plant, and there is a lot of common point in plant. And precursors, aroma precursors, have been found in many different fruit and uh, vegetable and plant. So it's not 
uh, really a surprise that it's possible to find the same precursors, diol precursors as methylmethionine, glycosad, um, some lipids in all these raw materials. I think it's the first common point. The main difference is uh, probably about the concentration of each precursor family in the raw material and the different amount of each raw material you can use uh, to transform uh, this raw material in, in beverages. And uh, at this time, I think it's the difference between the process in brewing and the process uh, in winemaking. Uh, so it's all different, you can see. Uh, maybe one important is the hot step, especially the mashing, uh, because there is no, most of the time, there is no hot step uh, in winemaking. And during mashing, you can transform uh, some precursors. And during boiling, you can release a part of uh, tiles from precursors, for example, just a little bit. And most of this part is uh, oxidized. And maybe the last point is the difference between yeast strain uh, used in brewing and uh, in winemaking. It's not uh, all the same. As they, they don't have the same capability to, to use and to transform these precursors. Awesome. I definitely want to talk here more about um, the, the influences that brewers can have during mashing and boiling. Uh, later on, we're going to talk more about that. Um, but for now, uh, I want to talk about um, going back to the Brewing Summit in San Diego in, in 2018. You presented a really cool study there in which, among other things, you looked at uh, the aromatic power of roughly 20 commercial IPAs. Talk about what is meant by aromatic power as well as what you learned from this study. Okay. So, um, in our activity, we share some results uh, about aroma compounds uh, in beverages. And uh, we are able to analyze many different aroma compounds. Some are very impacting, some are less uh, important, but more and more, our Excel sheet we share with our client are more and more complex. and. Probably one common objective um, for brewers and winemakers is to make the relation between the sensory and the analytical information. And it's a real challenge because you can manage information in different ways. And all the time, all the ways, it's simplistic. So it's not the truth. But I really understand that we need a very simple information to take some decision or to uh, understand uh, what are the main difference between two different beers. And the idea of this slide in Brewing Summit was to transform our Excel sheet in a simplistic sensory information. Again, it's not the truth. Uh, but it's another way to look at this information about aroma compound obtained after one analysis. Uh, and it was very simple to do 
we just use a concentration for each aroma compound we analyze. We take uh, the concentration and we make the ratio until the perception threshold to calculate the odor unit. And we did uh, the addition of different odor units uh, through different family and the global odor unit of the beer. And this is the graph you can see in this talk. You can think about many different other ways to look at the results, but the conclusion of this graph and my goal was just to show that we talk about IPA aroma, but there is a lot of uh, difference between two IPAs. And in this aroma, sure, tiles play probably an important role, but in your beer, you have some esters, uh, some uh, terpene alcohol and the final aroma of the beer is the balance between all these different family and this graph just uh, represented this highly. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I might even, uh, I think I might even just use that image as the the episode header image because I think it's a really, um, uh, it's just it's just interesting to look at that relationship between you know all the different compounds there. Are you able to uh, come to any conclusion in terms of what makes the best uh, mix? Um, so, for example, you know if you had to rank these uh, various IPAs by preference, you know were the ones that were a, a equal balance of of the various constituents were was that preferred or were the ones that were higher in thiols preferred, or, and so on. Do, is, can you make a blanket statement like that, or is it just too complicated to say something like that? My opinion is that it's really too complicated. In a specific study, you can make some uh, relation uh, how thiols will impact aroma, and you will observe the difference, and you probably uh, I will be able to make a choice, a choice about that. but. The conclusion of one study can't be the same for exactly the same for another beer uh, because there is a lot of aroma compounds, many hundred uh, aroma compounds in the beverages. Uh, and we analyze just uh, the well-known key aroma compounds. So it, it's just a part of the information. Probably it's the most impacting part, but it's not the global view is the reason why the relation between uh, sensory and analytical it's not the most important question i think it's just very interesting to have uh, at the same time these two information the sensory and analytical information to have a good overview uh, and different view of what is aroma Sometimes for wine, because our background is more important, I know approximately if uh, some family of compounds are playing an important role for a specific wine, because I have an idea with a different concentration, but it's, it's not really easy to do that. Up. I can share some information we uh, don't really publish 
Uh, and it's something that every brewer uh, can easily understand, I think. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. BSG is partnering with Leopold Brothers to bring a new line of small batch handmade malts to brewers and distillers. Leopold Brothers is a family-owned floor malting operation and distillery and 2020 James Beard Award finalist located in Denver, Colorado. Since brothers Scott and Todd Leopold first opened their doors in 1999, they have created everything from classic unfiltered lagers to a number of spirits, including a wide array of whiskey styles. Learn more about the upcoming malt line by going online to bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact BSG at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Fermentis, the global supplier of active dry yeast. You can listen to Kevin and Marcelo talk about the shelf life and performance of active dry yeast on episode 93. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. There's a Master Brewers webinar on April 13th called To Congress or Not to Congress, a topic you'll find familiar from our 200th episode. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Technology course begins April 21st. Don't miss the Tank Cleaning Fundamentals webinar May 18th. The Great District Northwest covers all things canning for their spring meeting by Zoom on May 21st. And the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. There's finally a beer industry conference you can put on your calendar that might actually take place in person. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew. Now back to the show. 
you see a future in which hop merchants include thiol precursors on their COAs? And if so, which precursors should they report? Okay, I remember one of your podcasts. I think it's the first one with Tom Shalamer. I think uh, you talk about essential oil information. Yep. And in 2014, when we started to look about what happens uh, in brewing, I was very happy to see that for each hop samples, it was possible to have different information about hops uh, to improve how you how brewers can use these hops about uh, alpha acids, about essential oil. Uh, I think it's a very good approach. But I think that it's not very useful for essential oil because it represents a lot of many different aroma compounds. And some of them, sometimes the most important, are maybe the less impacting for the, the final aroma of the beer. Uh, so I think that first, as uh, up to the age, improve a lot during the cold step, uh, especially during fermentation and aging, uh, we need more precise information about each aroma compound. Uh, I think it's the first step because we know that we can just extract free aroma. And about precursors, I think it will be in the future something probably interesting uh, to have an idea, uh, low, medium, high level of precursors. But I think that the, the most important question today is how to release uh, these precursors more efficiently during brewing process. I think it's really the first step. And if we are able to do that, if you know that in this condition, you will release maybe 2, 3, 5% uh, of the precursors into free tile, maybe brewer will be interested in uh, having additional information if it's a uh, high level of concentration of precursors or a very low level because the strategy how they will select brewing step will be probably different makes sense you can have all the precursor in the world but if you don't know how to convert it then it doesn't matter yeah and i think they have to experiment to try some different yeast to try to uh, limit oxygen so everything they can try to improve the tire release is a good strategy because tire is a tire and oxidation is a natural process. You can limit it, uh, but in wine, we know that except in some wine, most of the time tire decrease during aging. And I think it's very true in beer too. Uh, so if you know that you have a loss of 50% of tire after six months in your beer, uh, you need to have a higher concentration uh, just after bottling. Hops seem to get all the attention when it comes to thiols, so many listeners will be surprised to hear where the rest of this interview is going. You and I both have experienced the enormous potential of malt's contribution to thiols in beer. First, take us back to poster 143 from the 2016 World Brewing Congress. Yeah. First, so I went back on this poster and uh, there is a mistake about unit, not in the text, 
but uh, on the graph. But it's true that there is a lot of thiol precursor, or especially of 3SH precursors in different malt. And to be honest, this information have been discovered in 2009 by Mr. Takoy. He did some experiment on Nelson Toven hops and he observed uh, in the control uh, trial of uh, its experiment that there is a 3SH in the control beer. And uh, he concluded that uh, malt contained some precursors, but at this time it didn't perform some precursors analysis. So, Tyrol's uh, precursors in malt, it's a very old story. Okay, what do we know about the range of potential thiol precursors in malt? Will the quantity and type of thiol precursor vary considerably from one malt to the next? Yeah, so our background uh, on malt is very, very limited. We did three different posters and we just analyzed some samples. It's why we didn't communicate a lot about uh, the type of malt because it's so easy to conclude and to let brewers uh, make some conclusion. But I think we just go deeper uh, on malt precursors. Uh, but there is uh, probably some difference in the different malt. Uh, we have some hypotheses about uh, roasting which seems to limit these precursors. Malting process was probably impacting tile precursors. And we did a very small uh, experiment uh, with IFBM in France uh, to study what happens before and after malting. And uh, we analyzed uh, six different samples. And uh, for four samples, we observed uh, an increase uh, of uh, glutathione-related precursors after malting. So I think it's another way, uh, another topic we need to, to study uh, again, and probably we will make some nice uh, observation, nice discover for uh, malters in the, in the future. Very good. But you did find a, a pretty considerable range uh, within the study that you've done so far, right? So, some malts had quite a lot of precursor and some very little. Yeah, big difference. And we don't really know the reason uh, because we just bought some different malts online. So we don't have any information on different malts. But we suppose that Killing and roasting will limit uh, the amount of precursors, but we really need to keep in mind that we did very few research and it just we just try to to look different malts in different conditions, but we can't really conclude about that. The only conclusion is that uh, for three SH we identified the four different uh, precursors you can find in grapes and in hops but for um, the following research I think we have uh, we have a lot of work on on malt 
Okay, great. And to what extent do you think barley variety uh, is important here? Um, do you think that the processing conditions in the malt house are um, are a much stronger factor, or do you think that the barley variety itself and the growing conditions are also an important influence? We we didn't we we don't have any information about uh, how barley variety will impact this uh, potential. Uh, but what we we observe with IFBM uh, before and after malting, uh, I think that process of malting is probably uh, the main uh, parameter to study uh, now. Tomorrow. I'm brewing again with the thiol-releasing GM yeast that I discussed with Charles Denby on episode 188, and the results of that first brew were amazing. I used 0.1 pounds per barrel Cascade, and I ended up calling the beer Guava Pale Ale. The grist for that brew was 50% estate-grown barley, malted by my local craft maltster Murphy and Rude, and 50% malted wheat. I now see from your 2016 WBC poster that your wheat malt sample was very low in thiol precursor. My questions for you are, first, why do you think that was? And second, is it safe to assume I should back off on the malted wheat in my brew tomorrow? Um, After this first study, uh, we analyzed uh, thiol precursors in another wheat uh, malt with really higher uh, level of thiol precursors. So I think you can avoid to modify too much your recipe tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think we just need to study uh, really more malt samples to really evaluate if uh, this potential exists in different other malt. Uh, I think uh, you have uh, some question about hots, and we never analyze uh, hot samples. But again, um, in plant, uh, there is a lot of similar metabolites, and it won't be a surprise to find these thiol precursors in many other uh, raw material. Cool. Yeah, I would definitely encourage you to, when you um, look at this more to look at oats. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of American craft brewers producing, you know, very aromatic, hazy beers with, um, with both a lot of wheat and oats. And so, um, it would be certainly interesting to, to, to study that for sure. Okay. Moving on. Uh, we mentioned earlier, we were going to talk about mashing conditions and how they might influence thiol precursors, uh, as well as boiling, uh, Talk more about that. What what can what can we do in the brewery to increase that release of of bound thiols? I can't uh, really answer uh, about how to optimize uh, thiol potential during mashing and boiling, but I can share some information we uh, don't really publish. Uh, and it's something that every brewer uh, can easily understand. I think you know that uh, at low temperature during mashing, around 45 degrees, I think it's uh, the protein rest, right? Approximately, and some peptides uh, can uh, transform protein and small 
peptides. And uh, if you look at the structure of most of thiol precursors, it's a um, combination of one, two, or three amino acids. And uh, we observe that at different temperature, between 20 and 40 degrees, these enzymes are activated and they transform the bigger precursors into smaller precursors. So it's, it may be interesting, but we are not really sure. Uh, because if you look at uh, what we observe in wine, you can see that depending on each precursor, uh, the transformation by the yeast uh, is not really the same. All the time, yields are very low, uh, but it's not exactly the same. And we can suppose that some yeasts have um, more capability to transform uh, the bigger or the smaller thiol precursors. So if this hypothesis was really true, we could imagine to manage the protein rest to optimize um, the transformation of big thiol precursors into smaller uh, precursors. Okay, great. How about during wort boiling? Is there any uh, anything that we should be trying to optimize there, either the length of the boil or the um, maybe the pH during the boil or, or anything like that? Uh, I, I think that uh, boiling is a very strong uh, operation for metabolites. By chains, uh, thiol precursors are now sensitive to oxidation, but um, one researcher informed me that they observe a release, a small release of thiol during boiling. Uh, but on our side, all the time when we analyze uh, free thiol in the wort after boiling, we never found a big amount of free thiol, but we found a disulfide form. So my conclusion at this time is. Everything you can release during boiling, uh, you will oxidize these uh, tiles. And so I think it's not very easy to optimize uh, this point. The other point is that when you use hops during boiling, uh, you extract different metabolites and you extract tile precursors. It's something we observe. So during boiling, you improve the amount of thiol precursors in the future world. I was going to ask you sort of, um, you know, how, how can brewers identify hops and malts that are high in thiol precursors and what are the best strategies for brewers to maximize thiols in beer? We've just talked about what some of the best strategies are in the brew house or what some potential strategies are in the brew house. Um, I guess, uh, the answer to the first part of that question of how can brewers identify hops and malts that are high in thiol precursors, um, essentially they can't right now, right? I mean, there's not really any convenient way for a brewer to know the precursor content of his raw materials uh, at this day, point in time, right? Yeah, I think it's all the knowledge today is not completely efficient. It's just the beginning. Right. Um, and 
as um, methods to analyze precursors and free trial are not so easy. It's not easy for brewer to have uh, this information and to select the best raw material. Uh, but if you want to improve tire, I think there is uh, two different strategies. The first one is to use uh, hops with a higher amount of free tire uh, during dry hopping. It's, I think it's uh, the mo most common strategy used by brewers. And it's just an extraction of free tire. And more hops you use, more free tire uh, you can extract. Uh, if you want to try to release and exploit tire potential, uh, you need to maximize tire precursors in the world. But you need to keep in mind that the amount of precursors is really big. So it's largely enough to say if we transform just 1%, it will be enough uh, to smell something uh, very intense in, in, in the beer. Uh, so the challenge is really to to find how to release, and probably I think it's not easy because now all the beer use uh, hops during boiling uh, or during dry hopping, and it's not so easy for brewers to really experiment what is the origin of tile. In, in their beer and I invite brewers to make just some experiment uh, just with malt uh, to improve the choice of uh, wort management uh, to select the best yeast and maybe to have some difference and when this knowledge is obtained they can use again ops to be sure that they will release uh, tire precursors. I think that to work just on malt to experiment is a good uh, uh, intermediary step uh, to learn more before to really exploit uh, the potential of hops. So, what do you think the next chapter is in the relationship between thiols and brewing? This uh, topic is very a very nice opportunity for brewers, but uh, there is a lot of work. But I'm very happy because um, in 2014, I was at this time sure that the topic of tile uh, will be probably one of the most exciting about aroma in brewing for the next 10 years. And I think that. Now, a lot of researchers did uh, new research on this topic with uh, different parts of this very large topic about yeast, about enzyme, about how to manage hops in the, in the, in the field. But for researchers, it's very exciting. But I understand that uh, for brewers, it's not enough. And I really invite brewers to help us uh, sharing very applicated information and observation in brewery. Because uh, we have a lot of ID, we had a very efficient uh, instrument to make a lot of um, measurement, 
but the starting point is in the brewery. Brewers observe variation in the quality, and uh, I think they they um, they have to share this information to help us to look in the good way. As you can see, for all our work, we buy some malt on the market. We buy some beer on the market. We did some analysis and to try to look at the difference and to um, to imagine some hypotheses. But we are not very close of the reality of brewing, and uh, I think we need to connect to um, figure out all these questions about tires and to let brewers have a real opportunity to create many different new aroma profile because maybe one point which is very important for tires with tires in a beer and in a wine uh, you can build many different aroma profile because the, the, the range of concentration of free tire is very large it's very true in wine but i hope that it will be very true in beer soon and the goal won't be to have uh, the maximum of tire. The goal will be to have the concentration you want to have and uh, to have a good, to have the right contribution of tire in the aroma balance of your beer. I think the challenge is this point. <laughs> That was the Thiol King himself, Lauren DeGong, here on the Master Brewers Podcast. This guy has a bunch of great publications that you've got to check out. I'll post links to a few of them in the show notes, but keep an eye out for his name on future conference posters and presentations. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries, and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. (laughs) 